Well, good morning, everybody. It is so good to see all of you here today um, as, as we continue on in our series entitled Breakthrough. This is week three of this series, and really our main goal throughout the course of, of, of the series is just to really look at examples in the New Testament, look at examples in Scripture of people who encountered Jesus and then after encountering Jesus, like experienced some sort of breakthrough in their life. They, their, their life was changed forever as a result of this encounter. And, and we've tried to be as practical as we possibly can in this series. That's been our whole goal is, is to try and find common themes that all throughout these stories of, 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 of what takes place whenever somebody experiences a breakthrough in their relationship with Jesus. But with that said, I need to stop for a second and make something crystal, crystal clear. And it's this. God is God, right? Okay. One of you agrees. So, like, like God is God, and, and, and God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, and honestly, with or without your permission. God can do whatever he believes is best, whatever he sees is best for the sake of, 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 of his name, his glory, and his kingdom. And the reason that I believe that that's important to say is, is because as we go through and we look at you know, how people have experienced different breakthroughs, by no means is this an exhaustive list. That God can do this however he wants in your life. But here's kind of what we've seen, that some of the common themes that, that we've seen throughout this series so far. We, we've seen that if you desire to have a breakthrough in your relationship with Jesus, one thing that would be wise for you, for, for you to do is to put yourself in a position for a breakthrough to occur. To put yourself in a position for a breakthrough to occur. And again, this can literally happen in any number of ways. It can simply happen through showing up to church. It can happen by, by the, the literature that you read, going and finding a book on theology, finding a book on Christian living, finding a book that kind of just that points you to Jesus. It, it, you, you can do this essentially by, in, by, by doing anything to intentionally put yourself in a position to encounter Jesus. Podcasts, maybe during your, your commute, you listen to sermons by different preachers. Maybe it's, it's worship music is a way that you feel like that you're able to, to encounter Jesus. I remember so many times in my life, there have been so many times in my life whenever I feel like that I'm stuck in my relationship with Jesus. And one of the first things that I do is I, or whenever I start thinking, hey, you're stuck, you need to do something. Like one of the things that I often do is I will just go hop in my car, turn on some worship music and just drive. And drive and drive and drive. But anything that we can do to intentionally encounter Jesus. So, so it, it can be things, like, and it should be things like opening scripture and looking at the words of scripture, allowing God to speak to you through scripture. It can be through uh, ha having an active prayer life. It can be through, you know, be, uh, taking part in disciplines like, like journaling or, or fasting, anything that you do, generosity, anything that you do to encounter Jesus, putting yourself in a position for a breakthrough to occur. It's why community is so important. You were never meant to be a Jesus follower alone. Never, ever, ever. 
And I, I believe as a, a, you know, in my upper 30s now, I believe that the main way that God has spoken to me for, 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 for years, honestly, is through the words of the people who I have put in my community, a group of Jesus-minded people who have the ability and the authority and permission to speak into my life. It's so incredibly, incredibly important. Serving and, and, and going in, in the name of Jesus, going and doing good for others. All of these are ways that we can put ourselves in a position to experience a breakthrough in our relationship with Jesus. The second thing that, that we talked about, we mentioned this one a little bit last week, and, and that's just the fact that breakthrough often has gratitude at its heart. Breakthrough often has gratitude at its heart, and this is really a perspective thing. The way that we view the events of our lives, whether things are good or bad, happy or sad, rich or poor, sick or healthy, whatever it is, big or small, having this perspective of gratitude and recognizing no matter what it is that Jesus is doing in your life, whether you understand it or not, that we still give thanks. Then last week we also mentioned this one, and it's the, the third thing is that breakthroughs are personal, not universal. And this one's much less of a how-to and more of a why. Like, why is it that two people can experience nearly identical circumstances but have different results? Or in the case of last week's text, why is it that ten lepers can all experience the exact same thing but have completely different results? And the answer is because breakthroughs are personal. They're not universal. And this should give hope to us. This should give hope to us if, if, if you're in here and you're like, man, I just don't know if I've ever experienced a breakthrough and I don't understand what's wrong with me. It's not that anything is wrong with you. And I, I get it. I mean, I, I, I know that there have been people that I've met in my life who uh, they've experienced a breakthrough through a broken marriage. They've experienced a breakthrough through the sickness of a family member. They've experienced a breakthrough through the loss of a job. And, but not everybody who has a broken marriage, not everybody who has a sick family member, not everybody who loses a job, not, that, that's not how everybody experiences their breakthrough, but it's so easy for us to see the circumstances that other people have experienced and think, why isn't it working for me the way that it worked for them? And the answer is because breakthroughs are personal. They're not universal. And then on the flip side, as, as Christians, it's so easy for us to think, well, here's how I came to faith. Here's how God really got my attention. And so this is how God should get everybody's attention. And so it's easy for us to kind of give up on people or, 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 or to move on from people if they don't get it as quickly as we think that they should. We shared with them everything. We did exactly what it happened for me. And it didn't work. And so we move on. But breakthroughs are personal they're not universal. And we have to understand that just because we don't see the immediate results, that things don't look like they change on the surface at the beginning does not mean that they never will. But simply understanding that breakthroughs are personal and not universal will help us be people of greater empathy, greater passion, compassion, and greater um, uh, uh, patience with others. And it should give us this great, great hope that just because Jesus has maybe not broken through to you yet does not mean he never will. So just continue to put yourself in a position for a breakthrough 
to occur. But today we're going to look at another one of these common themes. And honestly, in all the stories that we've talked about so far throughout this series, this theme was present in each of those, but we're going to see it once again today. And that is that breakthroughs often come through brokenness. Breakthroughs often come through brokenness. In today's text, we're going to see the story of a woman who who for much of her life has been used and abused. She, 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 she is broken and she is destitute. But yet she knew that there was something about Jesus, that if she could just get to Jesus, that maybe she'd be able to find some hope. And the setting for the story is the, uh, at a Pharisee's house, a Pharisee by the name of Simon. And Simon invited Jesus over to his house for a dinner party. And back in that day, I mean, this is something so interesting about the ancient culture. Back in the ancient culture, whenever somebody, especially a person of influence, which Simon would have been, invites another person of influence to a dinner party, whether it's a wise teacher or a rabbi or somebody like that, whenever they invite another person of influence to a dinner party, like the entire community was invited to participate They were invited to the dinner party, not to partake in the dinner party, like they didn't get to eat with everybody, but it's almost like a spectator sport where there would have been people who just were standing on the outside looking in. And the reason for this is because they wanted to give anybody the opportunity to hear the wise teaching and the wise conversation that was taking place between these extra spiritual or these extra wise individuals. And so here we, in, in Simon's situation, in, in, in this instance, Simon, he is a wealthy, respected spiritual leader. And he wanted the honor of hosting Jesus. But he didn't necessarily have any intention of rolling out the red carpet as we're going to see. So if you have a Bible today, you can open up to Luke chapter 7. If not, we'll have the verses up here on the screen for you. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36, it says this. When one of the Pharisees, that being Simon invited Jesus to have dinner with him. Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. This is just that this was common practice. There were no seats and, and, and you know, there, it wasn't chairs and tables at that point. It was a low table that you would have reclined at, most likely leaning on your left side with your feet going back towards the wall. And that becomes important because right here in verse 37, we say a woman in that town who lived a sinful life, she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. And so she came with this alabaster jar of perfume. And although this woman sinned, she's known as a sinful, she's lived a sinful life, and and this woman's sin is not directly mentioned right here. History and scholars all believe that the most likely sinful life that she was living was the life of a prostitute. And the thing that's interesting about prostitution in Jesus' day, it was a fairly popular occupation. But the people who were in this occupation, they had a few common themes, the mass majority of them. And the themes were this. One, they had a history of being abused. They had a history of being abused. So a history of abuse would lead, often lead these women into prostitution. The second one is that they were an illegitimate child with no marriage prospects. An illegitimate child without any marriage prospects. In other words, they were a child that the parents never really wanted in the first place. And so they had done nothing to, to, to arrange a marriage for them. And so the way that they felt like they could still make ends meet was through this occupation of prostitution. And the third was that they were a widow who was struggling to survive. They were a widow who was struggling to survive. And I, I think that this is just such a, 
a, a, a, a, a powerful, powerful picture. Because it wasn't only true in the first century in ancient culture that, that, that people end up getting where they are through a series of events and circumstances and oftentimes even decisions. This woman, she did not dream of a little girl as being, uh, of being a prostitute. But there were things that happened over the course of her life that led her to believe that was her only option. It's a picture of brokenness. I mean, this is something that as, as Jesus followers, hopefully we can have, learn, learn to have some, some empathy that whenever we see somebody who's living a certain kind of life, that there were things that took place in their life that got them there. I'm not saying that none of it is ever self-inflicted, but there are things, there are brokenness, there is trauma, there is tragedy in their life that got them there. And so for us, I mean, it just teaches us that a little bit of empathy can go such a long, long, long way. And we can see throughout this text that this woman has been battered down. Her self-image, it is tattered and it is it is ragged. She is uh, you know, most likely the continual object of scorn and insults. She is shunned by the best people in society. And she is abused by the worst people in society. And because of her reputation that precedes her, which we're going to see here in just a moment that Simon was very aware of her reputation. Because of her reputation that precedes her, she would not have been allowed in the local synagogue so her hope of having any kind of a relationship with Jesus would have been very, or, or, or with Yahweh, and, and, like would have been very, very small. But she has heard of Jesus. She's heard of his teachings of grace and, and, and restoration and healing. And now she hears that Jesus is in her town. And so she's thinking, I got to go and see this man. And by doing so, don't miss it. She put herself in the position for a breakthrough to occur. In verse 38, it says that as she stood behind Jesus at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, and she kissed them, and she poured perfume on them. This is just such a vivid, vivid picture. Can you see it? Jesus reclined with his feet back towards the wall. This woman comes and she kneels down at Jesus' feet and the tears are just streaming off of her face. And every time a tear comes off of her cheek and it falls onto Jesus' dusty feet, you can just see the mud, the dark brown mud of, of the uh, liquid of her tears like encountering the dustiness of Jesus's feet and she just continues to cry and cry until Jesus' feet are wet and then at that point she lets her hair down and she begins to wipe up the, the moisture on Jesus' feet with her hair. And then she bends and she can she grabs Jesus' feet and she begins to kiss his feet. And then she takes this expensive bottle of perfume, which would have costed a, a pound of this perfume, would have been at least like a year's salary. And she takes it and she begins to anoint Jesus' feet. And the way that Luke wrote this is so interesting because in, in the Greek, he used the grammar that shows that this is like a continual action. This wasn't just a one-time thing, but it was a continual action. She just kept weeping and she just kept wiping and she just kept kissing and she just kept anointing Jesus's feet over and over and over again. And can you imagine how uncomfortable everybody in that room was because of what this woman 
was doing. Especially how uncomfortable Simon would have been because of what this woman was doing. In verse 39, we see that Simon knew about this woman's reputation because it says, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, and now this is huge. If you have your own Bible out in a pen, circle this first word, if, if, if this man were a prophet, then he would know what kind of woman is touching him. He would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. He would know that she is a sinner. Right here, Simon's true colors begin to shine through. And I want to just go ahead and make this point for all of us. So this is crystal, crystal clear. Questioning the grace of Jesus is never a good idea. Questioning the grace of Jesus is never a good idea. But we see that Simon, he didn't invite Jesus to have dinner with him to honor Jesus. But instead, he invited Jesus to have dinner with him to vet Jesus, to try and find out who Jesus really is. I mean, is Jesus the one that he's been expecting? He's studied his entire life about the coming Messiah. Is Jesus the one that he's been waiting for? Is Jesus the one that, 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 that lives up to his reputation that precedes him? Is Jesus the one that he feels like that he can control, that he can kind of manipulate, that he can fold up and put in his little box and carry around in his pocket for any time that he chooses? He's trying to see who is it that Jesus is, and right now he's finding out that he does not know Jesus, and he does not like what he sees in Jesus. And so Jesus, knowing what's running through Simon's mind, he responds to Simon's thoughts in such a powerful way that it's just as applicable today as it was the day, day that Jesus spoke these words. Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt to be forgiven. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Now, I want you guys to repeat something after me, okay? This is just the middle of the message. Make sure people are still like remotely awake kind of deal. So here we go. Forgiven much. Okay, this row right here is like the only people awake in this entire room right now. Okay, forgiven much equals loving much. Forgiven much equals loving much. And I think that this is huge. I think this is a big deal because the longer that people are in the church, the more spiritual that people tend to view themselves, the more likely they are to forget how much God's forgiven them. The easier it is to look around at other people and and, and, and have this mindset, well, I'm really not that bad. I mean, I'm still married to my same spouse. You know, I haven't cheated. I haven't stolen. I haven't really lied. I don't have any large addictions. And so, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm really not that bad. I mean, and, and, and because I, I know whenever I say forgiven much equals loving much, there's the possibility that there are some people who are thinking, well, 
I just don't know what I need to be forgiven of. Yeah, I mean, I know that there are people who, who have these incredible stories and these incredible testimonies who have done all these awful, awful things. And, and yeah, I know why they, but, but man, we cannot forget how much we have been forgiven. We cannot forget the depths for, to which Jesus went to save us. And here's why. If we fail to grasp the depths that Jesus went to save us, then we will fail to grasp the depths of Jesus' love for us. And if we fail to grasp the depth of Jesus' love for us, then our love for him will remain surface level and will all be all about making sure that we continue to look good. It will be a surface level and self-edifying kind of love. And so Jesus, he, he, he turned to the woman, but he's talking to Simon. And he says, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman has not stopped uh, from, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put any oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my, on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And I love what Jesus says here. He says, he who is forgiven little loves little, fully knowing that there's not a single person in this world who has ever been forgiven little. But there are definitely people in this world who believe that they've been forgiven little. Can you imagine what Simon's reaction is to all of this? This little game of compare and contrast that Jesus is playing at his expense. He's embarrassed. He's angry. It's, he's shocked. It's put him in this bad light that makes him look like the inhospitable and unenthusiastic host that he really was. After all, why should he need forgiveness? He's not a sinner. He's not like this woman. But Jesus, he doesn't linger on Simon's shortcomings. Instead, he turns his full attention to the woman and he says, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that he even says he can forgive sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. Now, one of the reasons I love preaching sermons like this is because I hope, I hope every single week that, that we go through these, these, these stories that there are people in this room there are people who are watching online who are, who are saying, you know what, I just don't know if I've ever experienced this breakthrough. I don't, I, I, I don't know if, 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 if God's ever really done that for, for me. And the reason why I love that is not because you haven't experienced a breakthrough. is because I want to be able to give you the hope of Jesus. I want to be able to give you the hope of Jesus. And there's this one question that as I read the story comes into my mind, and it's this. Do you believe that Jesus can forgive your sins? Do you believe that Jesus will forgive your sins? Like, like, do you really, really believe that Jesus will forgive your sins? And I know that that question for some in this room is probably a really, really difficult question. You don't know what to make of it because you've been told for so long that you've messed up too bad. The words have come out of your mouth. If I ever show up in a church, I mean, lightning's going to strike that place, you know? Like, 
That's the way that you've viewed yourself. You've messed up too much. You've hurt too many people. You've hurt them too deeply. You've been told by some that you're not welcome. You've been told by some that you've messed up too much. But I want one voice to rise above the rest. And I want that voice to be the voice of Jesus Christ whenever he looks at you square in your eyes and he says, my child, I know what you've done. I know your past and I know your mistakes. But if you'll just come to me, your sins will be forgiven. There are so many people in the church today and so many people who are not willing to come into the church today who are convinced, they're convinced that it is your goodness, that it is your righteousness that allows Jesus to love you. Jesus loving you has nothing to do with your goodness or your righteousness. But Jesus' love for you has everything to do with his goodness and his righteousness. I want you to think about this. Why is it? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that none of you, whenever we go through this story of this woman, none of you look at her story, look at her life and say, man, there's no chance that Jesus really forgave her. We don't think that. We don't go through stories in scripture and see Zacchaeus or see the adulterous woman. And whenever Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, we don't look at those stories and say, no, 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 Jesus, I don't think that's true. And in the, in the, in the same breath, I mean, some of us have experienced stories in our families or with coworkers or with friends. or We've read about them online or, or, or in magazines or someplace to where they were living one way and then there was something that happened in their life and they did a complete 180 and they began to live in a completely different direction. And we don't look at their stories and say, mm, I don't think Jesus really forgave them. So my question for you today is if you are here and you're like, I don't know if Jesus can forgive me, is why would he forgive the sinful woman? Why would he forgive the adulterous woman? Why would he forgive Zacchaeus? Why would he forgive your friend, your family member, the person that you're reading about in a magazine, but not forgive you? It doesn't make sense. If Jesus is willing to forgive all of them, I can promise you he is willing to forgive you. If he is willing to forgive this woman, and my goodness, he most definitely was. And can't you see her face as Jesus says these words, your, 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 your sins are forgiven. Her face that was so full of shame is shining her tears are continuing to flow, but I mean, they are a completely different kind of tears now. Can you picture how her countenance has completely changed? And the crazy thing in this story, you can go back and read it. Throughout this entire text, she never said a word. She never said a word, but her actions spoke volumes. That God uses Broken people for great purposes. Broken people, they appreciate God's grace. Broken people, they rely on God's strength. Broken people allow God to rebuild them and allow them to live the life that he desires for them to live. Broken people are amazed when God uses them. And church, don't mistake this. No matter how good you think you are, we're all broken people. 
even the most morally upright person in this room, whomever that might be, I just know it is not me. They are more broken than they could ever know. You are more broken than you could ever know. But the reason that this is so huge is that our breakthrough, it may hinge on the recognition of the depth of God's love in the midst of the depth of our sin. It may hinge on the recognition of the depth of our sin and our brokenness and the beauty of God's grace. And for so many of us, we, we, we listen to this story and, and it might send like a little bit of a shiver down our spine just how much we tend to relate with Simon in this story. How much we may relate with the Pharisee in this story. I am ashamed to admit how much I probably relate to Simon the Pharisee in this story. He was a religious man, a man of good reputation. A man who looked great on the outside, looked like he had it all together. He was a man who was serious about sin and immorality. He was a man who thought that he was doing Jesus a favor by inviting Jesus to his house. And completely missed the fact that the honor was all his that Jesus would go to his house. Have you ever been there? You ever found yourself in that position to where you feel like you're doing a favor for Jesus? And completely missing the fact that the honor is all ours. He sees this person who's coming in to his home party crasher of sorts and, and knows who she is. And I don't even want to speculate why he knows who she is. But he knows exactly who she is. He knows what her reputation is. And you know that he got uncomfortable immediately. He's a spiritual leader. He wants to look good. He wants to be right. I would imagine that Simon's the guy who loves to hold people accountable. And let me just say this. I had to think a long time for a service how to, how to word this. If you encounter a person who loves to hold people accountable, that's probably not the person you want to hold you accountable. Because they're all about being right. Accountability comes out of love. Accountability is hard. It's painful. But I can relate with Simon a little bit, and maybe you can too. But now let's put ourselves in the position of this woman. She knows that she's out of place and that she's unwelcome. She knows what these religious men and these religious individuals think about her, the distinction that they have placed between themselves and her, that, that they're righteous, but she is a sinner. She hears that Jesus is coming into town, 
And so she literally goes and, and, and gets her most valuable possession and makes her way to the place where Jesus is going to be. I mean, can you imagine what the, the nerves as she went walking down the street towards Simon's home? The nerves that she walked into his house. The courage that I must have taken that, that the people in, in her home, they, they were aware of her reputation. But no matter how aware of, their, of her reputation that they were, she was so much more aware of all that she had done. So broken, she kneels at Jesus' feet. She just keeps weeping. She just keeps wiping with her hair. She just keeps kissing his feet. She just keeps anointing. She just keeps weeping. She keeps wiping. She keeps kissing. She keeps anointing. And maybe this was her plan all along whenever she heard Jesus was coming down. Like, I'm going to go and I'm going, I'm going to go to his feet. Or maybe it was whenever she saw Jesus come into the room and Simon didn't anoint his feet. He didn't wash his feet and he didn't give him a kiss. Maybe, maybe she thought back to all the times that she had walked into somebody's home and had been disrespected by not having her feet washed or having her cheek kissed. And she thought, there's no way I'm going to allow Jesus to experience the same disrespect. And so she goes and she kneels. She weeps. She wipes, she kisses, and she anoints. Make no mistake about it. This woman has put herself in the position for a breakthrough to occur in her life. And she is expressing gratitude on such a level that everybody around is likely uncomfortable. And she is so aware of the brokenness in her life. It's true for us as well. Breakthroughs can occur when we recognize the depths of our sin and our brokenness in comparison to the beauty of God's grace. That was true for her. It's true for you. It's true for me. It's true for us today as well. Will you pray with me this morning? Father in heaven, I thank you so much for just the chance to be able to look at this. And God, I do. I lift up the people in this room who feel like that they've never experienced any kind of a breakthrough in their life. Father, that they feel like that they are, are, are so unwanted, that they are so unloved. Father, I pray that your heart will be communicated to them in their soul, God. What we see in this, in this story that you go up to the edge of their seat. And you get down right in front of them and you say, my child, I love you. Your sins are forgiven. Now come and rest in me. And Father, I pray for those of us in this room who we have a higher view of ourselves than what we should. That we have forgotten the depths of which you went to save us. Father, will you please humble our hearts and help us remember, help us to be moved daily by just how much you love us.
Father, I thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.